Welcome to Deep and the Wild. I'm Melissa Hawks. On today's episode, I'm joined by Matt Chambers, who can be found at Stories and Craft. We talk about what happens when we look behind the curtain and no one's there. So a little bit about our spiritual journeys. We also talk about storytelling and going down the rabbit hole and so many fascinating things. I hope that you'll enjoy this episode, and as always, you can support the show by Venmoing me at Melissa B. Hawks. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself. Um, Welcome to the show, Matt Chambers. (laughs) I'm glad to have you here. (laughs) Um, So Matt and I are like those people who met on the internet, like so many people have in um, the past couple decades and it's been seven years since we um first virtually met isn't that hard to believe has it been only seven years has it been only seven years yeah it's felt like a few decades itself right yeah and it does it does well it's so funny because like you know how when you know somebody for a certain length of time it and i get asked this about other people before it's like how'd you guys meet when'd you guys meet it's like i don't even know like they it just sort of feels like someone's always they've always been there so yeah yeah. absolutely and I feel I feel like my memory is very foggy about the specifics of it too but then I just know that uh then you were there um around so um well why don't we start by you sharing a little bit with um our listeners about yourself and also where they can find you on the internet sure um well, I guess primarily, and this sounds so like nebulous, I guess, but it's, I, I am, I'm a storyteller um, yes. by trade. So that's probably the, the thing that I do most often in my day-to-day life. Um, I do, you know, I, I, I take some pictures, I do some writing, but I'm a storyteller. Um, so that's number one uh, that I do. The, the second thing that I do, though, is I, I'm also a coalition builder. So I love a lot of collaboration. I love telling stories with people. I like creating with people, developing projects, whatever it is, which is taking me on a, on, on a lot of really wild um, journeys over the years. Um, right. So, but I would say storytelling really, and hopefully for the rest of my life, uh, being a storyteller um, and inviting people into the stories that I'm able to tell or yeah. um, is probably is what I hope to do for the rest of my days. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and I, it's a unique opportunity to be able to make a living from that. I, I don't um, take that lightly. I think that matters a lot uh, to also right. be able to make a living from that. But storytelling, I just feel like is something that never um, sort of reminds me of the C.S. Lewis quote where he says, you know, hopefully one day you'll be old enough to read fairy tales again. And, uh, and I love the idea of just going and and finding those stories and telling those stories true or myth or whatever it is. Um, So that's what I do. That's what I do is I, I tell stories. Uh, But the second thing, I guess if people want to find me, um, I do a lot of my more significant writing on um, the Instagram account um, stories and craft. Uh, So stories and craft on Instagram. And then my personal one, which I, I don't post as often to, but when I do, it, um, I post really deeply personal things. Is just uh, Matthew A. Chambers on Instagram. So, um, yes, yeah. yeah. Well, 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, I, I think I, what, how I experience you, you were saying you post deeply personal things on your personal mm-hmm. account. I feel like your storytelling, even in that, right. You're sharing these intimate, beautiful, vulnerable moments, but you're, you're, uh, showcasing the, the emotions and the feelings that go along with that too. Um, I think that's something yeah. that can resonate with anyone regardless of their life. So. Yeah. I, th- I, I think that's the, that it matters a lot. You know, it's, it's interesting. We, I, I'm think, I think a lot about like on, on stories and crafts, I hardly ever post photos of myself. Like some people build build these platforms where, and it's not it's not good or bad. It's just sort of what works for right. the, that public persona. Uh, uh, you know, people don't really like stories and craft when I post photos of myself. So I very <laughs> spare, which is fine with me. It doesn't offend me, uh, right. but I very sparingly do it because that's not what I'm building that platform to do. Right. Um, whereas on my personal, I guess I also hardly ever post photos of myself. Um, but it's it's just, a, I think it's an opportunity to, I, I, social media is so strange in that I feel like historically it was like, get in, get out, say something fast and clever and witty. And, yes. um, and I feel like our whole society has been reduced to memes. Um, mm-hmm. And like we, we get our, our spirituality from memes. We get our politics from memes. We get um, whatever our, our uh, uh, intimate relationship uh, perspective or advice from memes. And it's like, ah, I don't, I, I feel like it's really unfair to reduce ourselves to, to, to something that could fit on a meme or a bumper sticker. And so for me, I, <laughs> Instagram regularly tells me, yeah, that's too long. You're going to have to shorten yes. it. So like I, and, but I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Like, I don't mind if nobody, if somebody doesn't want to read it. Okay. That's not fuck. great. Yeah. Um, but here's this story and here's this thing that I just wanted to say. And if it resonates with you, fantastic. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. Yeah. Oh man. Like I, I'm so with you on all of that. And I, I, as well, like in my personal life, I love reading the long things. I feel like that's one of my friends, Amber and I, we leave these long voice messages for each other and we always say, tell me your details, right? We love that. We love understanding the nuance of the story. Um, and even in my own, uh, life, just the things I love to read, I have um, become more passionate about long form um stories and reporting yeah. uh, essays over the past few years that's just something that it brings a lot of joy when sometimes i don't i don't know i'm sort of back and forth on this because part of you know I've, I, I used to speak a lot for a living too um right. and when you speak i understand the art of being a speaker and that you have to figure out ways to say things so that you can clearly communicate an idea or a group of ideas in a succinct way. But I think, I think sometimes, and maybe it's, let's, we can even just take like the moment in time that we're in right now. I feel like people are sort of hungry for more raw conversations yeah. that, that don't feel like they track with a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. Like let's, let's stumble over our words a little bit. It's okay that we didn't have all this prepared beforehand. So I, you know, I, I like that because I think it allows us to explore some things and maybe make some mistakes as we kind of figure out what it is that we're trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of magic there in that sort of undoneness, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in leaving room for something to evolve and be what yeah. it is, even yeah. instead of controlling it. Yeah. Um, I think I think about um, 
the you know the moth podcast um they do these story slams um where storytellers come and i don't know if you've ever been to one before but um, i have i haven't at the, it's so you would i i would love to to hear you tell a story at one it's it's great the energy is amazing in the room but at the yeah. end they do this thing where after all of the storytellers have come up they select 10 people from the audience and you have um 30 seconds to give a summary of a story that someone would want to buy you a drink to hear the rest of. Oh, wow. And I, I, yeah. And I think about that, like how we, you said, like, we, we want to, you know, put everything down to a meme on social media and whatever. And for me, I feel like people have already heard your 30 second pitch. They're there, they're buying you a drink. They're following you to hear the whole story, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And if they're not, then maybe you're not for them. Yeah, yeah, and you you know it's funny. I I think when it comes to stories, I don't even if I have a really good story to tell. I I can't control how the person I'm telling the story to hears that yes. story. <laughs> yes. so, so I think sometimes, like even in the summary, like okay, and maybe there are stories honestly that have amazing hooks. And if yes. I hear this hook, I'm gonna go holy hell, please tell me the rest of that story. Like, I got to know what happened next. Um, yeah. But, like, you still can't control how the other person receives your story. And, um, yeah, so I, I, and I think sometimes, depending on who you're talking to or who you're telling a story to, it may even change how you unfold that story or how you frame yes. the story. Um, just because you're hoping um that they'll they'll connect with you in a deeper way and it's just about because i think telling a story and hearing a story is also about learning how to connect with another human being yeah um it's it's not just about oh what a what a great story thanks for that high five and then like in part ways like you when you're telling a story and receiving a story there's an there's an there's an interaction that takes place there there's a connection um Theoretically, there's there should be a relational element to that story, even if you're talking to a stranger. And absolutely, you know, so. Do you think that that um, that perspective? You know, you and I share this kind of um, sh- like shared heritage, right? Of growing up evangelical and, and uh-huh. both having been in ministry before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that perspective kind of comes from speaking in groups like that? Did you gain that perspective there? You know, I I think for me in the in the evangelical well and I and I want to say want to say something about that before I say this. So grow, growing up evangelical as a preacher's kid, working in churches, speaking to crowds, um leading groups, um pre- preaching, writing sermons, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um and now I view myself as very much an outsider looking in, um, you know, and it's, it's funny cause there's a lot of it that I don't even recognize anymore. Like I don't, I think I, I told my wife some time ago, I was like, I can't even remember how I logically arrived at any of those conclusions before. Like I don't, and it, and it wasn't like, no a logic. sure. And I'm well, but I'm not, and I wasn't like, you know, are we allowed to cuss? Am I allowed to say we're like hundred percent? Okay, but like, but I'm not. I'm not shitting on my upbringing per se, and I'm not. I don't look back in anger or bitterness or hurt or like I've 
processed, I would say a lot of that, not everything probably. Right. Um, and I would say that um, I value a lot of it just because, um, and this isn't, every, again, everybody's story is different. So it, 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 this isn't everybody's story, but I, I it, it sort of was a catalyst for me sure. to explore bigger stories. So um, I, one of the things though, so I say that just to say this. So I grew up in that, I, I'm not in it any longer and I, I can't find a reason I'd ever return to it. Um, but in that, one of the things that I found fascinating and it sort of rubbed me the wrong way, even as a young child, was that um, a, a speaker would get up or a, a Sunday school teacher would teach a lesson or you know, when I was young, I was homeschooled for a while. And so, and obviously that was very much via the lens of um, a very conservative evangelical, um, I think even in some ways fundamentalist. Um, there was right. some Bill, Go Bill Gothard in there, which was definitely a cult. Okay. Um, so that, but even in that though, I would come away from lessons or a sermon or whatever, thinking that was way too easily and, and, perfectly packaged it yes. can't it can't possibly be like that and I even as a small child and I I mean there were moments where and my poor parents because my dad was the pastor my mom led this huge um, women's bible study on a weekly basis um, for hundreds of women in the community and um, I would like wake up in the middle of the night even as like a 10 11 12 year old in like cold sweats like this existential crises and I would go into their bedroom and I remember, I can remember this like it happened last night and stand at the foot of their bed and be like, but what about this? And I don't know, I was thinking about this and, or, or I would say things like, you know, heaven sounds terrifying. Like it was this, <laughs> I would unpack these ideas to them and I feel so bad for them because I would be expecting this, you know, existential theological back and forth with my parents um, in the in the middle of the night, and they were just like, "Oh my God, go to bed." Go to bed. <laughs> so yeah, which to, to, to be fair, I really should have just gone to bed. But I, but even for me as a young child, it was always this thing of like, I gotta know what else. Right. That's what I I have to go find this, and like and and I I I'm even for me as a small child, it was like even if there's nothing there, I'm okay with this, but I have to know. Yeah, I have to I have to know. And, um, but I, I think for me and that, and sorry, this answer is really long and rambly, no, but the, but th what was really fascinating was, um, oh, shoot, I got to look up this author's name too. So I get it right. Uh, Peter Rollins. Um, so I'm going to talk about Peter Rollins mm -hmm. in just a second. Um, who, if you haven't read him, I think you would find him really fascinating. Um, yeah. but I, as I grew up, it was like this idea, like I said, if there's nothing there, that's okay with me, but I just got, I want to find out. I want to see. I want to see how big the field is. I want to see right. how far, far I can explore in this, you know, these shenanigans. And so um, in that though, when you grow up in the way that we grew up, there's also this sort of twinge of fear in the back of your mind where it's like, but if I, if I leave or if I walk too far away, are they going to lock the door? Like, am I... Yeah. Am I going to be allowed back? Like, what what will people think of me? Um, will God let me in? Like, it was this, you know, all the little things that just, they're these little, little yeah. tiny fi fish hooks in your soul. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know if the fear is real or not, but the, 
but the foundations of it are. And so right. for some of us, it takes us a little bit longer to embrace the idea of going and exploring new stories just yeah. because that that twinge is there. And and so finally one day I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine who's very um uh I don't know, he's he's an amazing storyteller too and he he speaks to some deep places in some people's lives and I I really still respect him a lot. Um and he told me one day he was like you you can't stay on the bridge forever. He's like, you're trying to share borders with too many things. And he says, at some point, you just can't share borders with everybody anymore. And he said, you have to mm -hmm. choose, you have to choose either to go back or to cross the bridge. And, you know, as an adult with children, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, here we go. And so I just, I was like, I gotta go, I gotta cross the bridge. And, yeah. but at, at the same time that I was talking to him about that, I was reading this. I, he's a philosopher, uh, but he's also, I guess, a theologian from Northern Ireland, um, Peter Rollins. My and, favorite kind. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he, I don't even remember what book this was in, but there was this, and you'll remember this from growing up, where it talked about when Jesus was crucified and the temple in the curtain of the, uh, of the, the temple separate. Yeah, the veil ripped. And in his book, and so for us, it was, as, as when we were young, the the imagery was it was a way for now the masses to be allowed into direct connection with with god right in peter's book the way that he interpreted that which just sort of blew my soul for a minute was that the curtain ripped and and everyone was able to see in and there was nothing there wow and I, and i yeah it was like it was like this whole and so for me now, so the way I see God now um, or, or spirituality or however you want to define it or not define it, like, I don't really care. I just, I don't have that kind of time to, to figure that out. That's, that's above my pay grade um, is, but it's that idea that if, if that idea exists or if it's alive in us, if that story is, is in any way true uh, yeah. from a spiritual sense that, there's no way that a curtain could have ever contained it anyway. Right. And so for me in storytelling, and if you read my stories over the years, even the little things that I've written here and there, they've evolved. So I went right. from a place of, you know, I don't really know what I think about this anymore. I just, or I can't do this anymore to sort of, uh, it reminds me of, and I use a lot of biblical references because that was my point of reference as a child, right. but you know, it's like when the Apostle Paul went to, to Athens and he's mm -hmm. talking to all these different people. And the way he describes God is that you're sort of feeling your way in the dark. Right. And I think that that is stories give light to the darkness. Yes. And, you know, and I, I was reading this quote. I can't remember who said it. I'm going to botch it. But it was like the idea of, you know, there is something that travels faster than light. Um, that whenever a light reaches a place, it finds that the darkness got there first. Yes, yes. I and I just said it too. I, I just I was reading it the other day, and it but but the light gets there too, and the, I think the light gets right. there eventually. And yeah. and you know I don't think that the light's job is to illuminate everything. All I'm really trying to do with stories and storytelling is um, illuminate 
what's coming next. Um, Cause I, yes. I, you know, heading into this year, honestly, like no amount of light could have illuminated far <laughs> enough down the road for us to go, Holy shit, there's a pandemic coming. Like, like yeah. no one, no, even, even as it was building and developing, we, there wasn't enough light to see all the way down that road. So for us, I think that stories and whether they're stories about myth or faith or magic or, or whatever is they're just ways for us to illuminate as best we can kind of what's, what's next or where we are right now. Um, Cause I don't, I don't, I don't have the ability to, to do anything more powerfully than that. Yeah. And, you know, so anyway, that's, a long what? way home, but I, that's kind of where I landed um, you know, when it came you, to so growing up crossing yeah, the bridge. Yeah, so you've been crossing that bridge and um, you said the, the thing about the veil ripping and then everyone yeah. saying there was nothing there. I, I just wonder if you were comfortable, would you want to share um, what that moment was like for you when the veil kind of ripped and you were like, oh, no one's behind the curtain or nothing or this thing that, yeah. I, that I was taught to believe was behind the curtain wasn't there and if you're not comfortable that's okay. no no well it's, it's you know I, I mean at this point like I mean I don't know I don't even know the difference between comfortable and uncomfortable anymore um because like everything's so messy in 2020 it's true, like I don't know true. I don't remember what it was like to be comfortable um so but but the uh, I think for me probably was um I was working in a church. Uh, this was f uh, 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so Jude, our third born, who mm -hmm. you know uh, has a rare genetic disorder, um, he's profoundly disabled. Um, and he, as an infant, he started having these interesting, we now, we knew, we found out they were seizures ultimately. Right. But they, but I was leading this group and we attended this large um, evangelical gathering for students in Atlanta. And we already kind of knew that something was going on. We weren't quite sure what was going on. We had already kind of had one physician look at him. It seemed okay. Um, but we just, we weren't quite sure. So, you know, but at that point it was like, you know, like you live in this, and again, I, I, I'm not crapping on where I came from, but, but there is this sort of protected, like yeah. for, force field of, um, it's all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be fixable, like everything it's all right, whatever. Um, right. and, and you have certain verses or certain beliefs or certain pillars of your faith that kind of help you continue to feel that way. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in Atlanta um, with, with a group. Um, and I remember it so vividly because everybody was outside. It was this large, like um, worship gathering and everybody's singing. And I'm sort of standing to the back um, alone. Um, and I remember it because it was, I guess where um, the, the old Olympic park in Atlanta and I was looking in one of the buildings, just as the music is going behind me, everybody's really into it. And I'm just, I'm just totally disconnected. Like I can't, my heart, my mind, my emotions, I can't even engage with what's happening. Um, and I, I'm looking in and I, if I remember correctly, there were just like 
it was an old training Olympic training ground for, I don't know, gymnastics or something. And so I'm just looking at these posters on the wall, you know, but not really seeing them. Like in my mind, I'm just, everything is swirling. And I get a phone call from my wife and she says, Hey, um, Jude won't stop having seizures. That was the first thing she said on the phone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm in Atlanta, she's in Tennessee. And, um, you know, she's like, I think something's really, really, really wrong with him. And I was the next, the next morning we were going home. So I was, was one more night in Atlanta and then we were driving everybody back. And I just remember, I, I don't remember what else was said on the call. I, I don't even remember. That's all I remember. And I, I hung up the phone when we were done and I just sort of collapsed behind this concrete wall and I just wept for the, yeah. for the, for the remainder of whatever that service was. And, and I, 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 I knew, but I didn't know at, at that moment, it was like, it's over. Yeah. Like everything is over. Whatever, whatever it is that was right. before that moment is no longer. And, yeah. you know, at that point I was working at a large church. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to, you know, there were several thousand people in the church. I was able to speak on the weekends. You know, I kind of had this privileged position um, in my, I don't even know how old I was. What am I now? 39. So I was like 25. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, don't, oh I don't even remember. So like, I was 25 and it was like, just a baby. yeah, just a bit. Well, really? But at that point you're like, I'm so grown up. Like, nah, nah, not even a little, um, you know, I was 25 with three kids. <laughs> uh, I had no idea what I was doing. So, but, but, you know, I was still able to speak and I, I went back and sort of we got, Jude was diagnosed. Um, you know, there was excruciating days in, in the hospital and, and I sort of ran from it. I, I just, I ran because it was like in my mind, I was trying to reconcile this. It's going to be okay. Like we're going to fix it. Like there's going to be this miracle thing. We're just going to pray the right thing or like we're, we're like, it's going to be fine. We're, it, it, you know, I, I, all I have to do is like keep going. Um, and what I didn't realize was that that night of the phone call in Atlanta, I, I hit the wall. Now, right. I, th I think my emotional or, or spiritual momentum kind of kept me moving forward, but I had hit a wall. I was, it was mm -hmm. over. It, it was really, really over. Um, and so that night in Atlanta probably began two years of trying to, to keep going on fumes. Yeah. Um, which I, I can't believe the fumes lasted that long. I, it must like, I must've had a lot of fumes um, <laughs> or like I at least pretended like I had a lot of fumes, but it was, you know, I, I think I referenced this the other day back on his birthday, uh, which I, I think is my last post on my personal Instagram. If anybody wants to go read it, but uh, we, we were in the hospital and we found this like super rare treatment to stop his seizures. Cause we, we genuinely could not stop his seizures. So they found this like brutal treatment, which was like injecting his legs every day with this, um, oh. uh, with this steroid that we found. It was like a treatment that we found in Israel. And um, like we did it in the hospital and, and it helped stop all of his seizures. So we had to continue it at home, but it was one of those where like, you did it at the high dosage for like two weeks. Then you had to taper it off because it was so intense for his little body. Yeah. And like we have pictures as a baby where it was like blown up like a balloon, but it was the only way that we could 
stop him from seizing. And the problem was we didn't know how much damage the seizures had done. And so, you know, a little while into the treatment when everything had stopped and he was kind of responding to us again and smiling a little bit. And, and we, you know, I remember talking to the neurologist and this goes back actually full circle to what I said about light a few minutes ago. And she said, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really easy to act like a baby. Um, And I was like, how dare you? Like, this is, like, he's fine now. Like, we we fixed it. Like, it's all better. And, and like, I, we talked about it all the way home. It was like, that was so mean. She's not very nice. I don't like her. Like, (laughs) but, but her idea was it's easy to act like a baby, but you don't know how much damage is done until you reach a point where you need them to not act like a baby. And, yeah. you know, so, but, it, you know, Jude now, so he just turned 14 and, uh, you know, cognitively, he's probably 18 months, you know, yeah. so she was, she was right. But in that idea of the story about light, all she could do was illuminate where we were. She, right. she could have told us a bunch of stuff about down the road because she probably knew, but yeah, we couldn't have absorbed any of that. We, we would have been like, you know, fuck you. Like, I, we're, it's going to be fine. Like, we did this thing for two weeks, and now we're good. Um, right. You know, so all she could do, and that was really, her role was to tell us the story of what was wrong with our son. And mm. um, all she could do was pitch that light right there and say, this is what we've got right now, but we don't know what it's going to look like next. And so that's where it all sort of, I think, fell apart for me. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the evangelical sense, I, I, I think the thing that broke the fastest for me personally was, um, the idea of, um, the concept of salvation as a, Mm -hmm. as a participatory action of, Right. You know, you you say this prayer or you you um, acknowledge this belief system and then you follow that up with this um, water based activity that, yeah. that you do in front of everybody else. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so for me, it was like either Jude is screwed um, because he, mm-hmm. he's never going to have the ability to do that or the story's bigger than that. Right. And if it's bigger than that, I'd like to know how big. And, yeah. and so that was really as simple as it was. And I remember at that point, I think I was working in Uganda. Um, yeah. I, that's actually, I think that's when we met. Um, yeah. So I think I was working in Uganda at that point. And there was this Hindu temple that on the way to and from the airport. So we would stay in the city of Kampala. We worked sort of up north in, in uh, an area called Luero. And we were just doing community developments. Um, although really what ended up happening was <laughs> I just ended up learning from a lot of other people. And, and you know, like it was a teaching time for me. Um, I didn't, right. you know, I, the, the great white man did not go fix anybody's issues <laughs> in Uganda. The great white man had his soul ripped open. Um, yeah. And, but we would travel. So the, the, the airports in Entebbe. And so it was about an hour drive, I think, if I remember correctly. I haven't been there in a long time um, to the airport. And there's a beautiful Hindu temple 
on the mountainside, sort of overlooking the lake on the way to the airport. And as you know, flights, we would fly this KLM flight, and you'd fly at night. So you'd be heading to the airport like right at sunset. And of course, sunsets over the Lake Victoria and Uganda were divine. And mm. so I remember one day, one of the guys we were with was like, would you guys, do you guys want to go and see the temple? And we were like, well, yeah, sure. So we popped up the hill and, you know, took our shoes off and, and we're walking into the temple. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Hindu temple, um, <clears throat> but we step into the temple and there's like this little moat of water um, mm -hmm. that you step over as you cross into the, the temple. And I looked at the priest who was guiding us and I was like, what's, what's the water, you know, symbolize? What is this for? And he said, well, it's, it's sort of like pur purification. Like you pass through the water, you know, yeah. to enter this holy place. And I was like, that sounds a lot like something else I have heard of passing through the water. And I was like, Hinduism has been around longer than Christianity. You know, it was just, yeah. and it wasn't like a crisis of faith because at that point I was like, I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> but it was just this beautiful moment of, I grew up in this thing where, you pass through the water and it symbolizes this um, connection to God. And, and now here I am and yeah. I'm tired. I'm getting ready to do this all night flight from Entebbe to Amsterdam. And I pass, take off my shoes and I pass through the water to go have this connection in this holy place. And it was just this, it was just like these little catalytic moments that happened over and yeah. over that were like, the story really is bigger. It really is. Yeah. And so that yeah. that has continued um, since then, and you know, <clears throat> I I I don't know where it goes next. You know, like I can't. The light still only shines right where I'm at, so I don't. Right. And I I quit trying to predict it because um, that doesn't do anything <laughs> for anybody. Cool. But yeah, so I think that it 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 broke. Um, but it's like that, uh, what's the what's the song that says, you know, um, um, there is a crack in everything, you know, that's how the light gets in, and, and, and yeah. um, uh, Leonard Cohen. And, um, yeah. you know, so I think the breaking, I feel like was the thing, even growing up evangelical, you didn't want to be broken, you wanted to be fixed. And right. I, so maybe that's what I was afraid of the most. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like I've come to peace with, with the broken parts now. Um, yeah. So, and I, it's not something I try to control anymore. Yeah, which is a really hard thing to not control. <laughs> it's, re uh, it's really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. Uh, this morning I was, I take walks uh, every morning, really long walks. Yeah. It was still dark out um, when I was walking and I saw this, uh, this falling star. And I was thinking about, um, you know, how this star was, it was dying, right? Mm, like that's yeah, what I was seeing, yeah. I was seeing its death. Mm. And I was thinking about how, um, you know, energy is neither created or destroyed. It's and matter is neither created or destroyed. It's just, you know, like transmuted into something different or translated into something different. And how the death of that star, was it breaking down into the building blocks of something new? Mm. And that just came to mind when you were talking about the, the breaking, I was thinking, well, yeah, like all of that had to break apart 
and it wasn't so that you would be missing pieces. No. It was so that something new could be built out of, you know, those basic building blocks of, of a life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's so, I don't, and I, I think the evangelical side of things was so much about, we have to make sure that if there is, if we do fill you up, we fill you up with only this thing over here. Like, don't let anything else in. Like, it's only, yes. like, it's a very controlled, um, um, you know, uh, I'm not even sure what the, what the word is, but I, but I, it's, you, you weren't really supposed to let anything else right. in. Like, you don't go to, and I, and I, I would not have survived um, if I hadn't. Right. Yes. Same. <laughs> so. I'm with you on that. And I think about that, you know, those moments for me when that veil kind of ripped and then there was this emptiness on the other side. And yeah. I had, um, I had experienced sexual trauma yep. and I was yep. starting to, you know, I was realizing like um, this whole idea of God uh, is always there and he will, he will protect you and um, will always show up. And then no one showed up mm. in that moment and I wasn't protected and all these things. And that kind of deconstructed it for me. Um, but on the other side of that, as I was healing and doing that work, I wasn't only grieving the, the things that had been done to me, but I was also grieving the loss of this um, idea I had been raised with my whole life, yeah. this safety, yeah. this, you know, thing that I had trusted and I had to lay that down yeah. and, um, and learn how to make meaning in other ways. Um, and there's this podcast that actually helped me so much, helping to frame that so well. It's it's called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> I've never heard of that, but that's a great title for a podcast. It's it's, it's by two Harvard uh, religion scholars. That's amazing. And so they do this practice of meaning making using the Harry Potter books. Mm. Um, and they like say blessings for the characters. They like pull meaning um, uh, and apply it to their daily life, like do an exegesis, like all this, all of these sort of um, religious ways of looking at things. And I remember listening to that and being like, oh, I can make meaning wherever I find it. I can make it from a fiction book I read, but I can also make it from any faith that I come across yeah. where something resonates with me, you know? Well, and it, I, you're talking about grief. I, I think that's probably another thing I've, I've been thinking a lot about this year is there's a lot of grief and I, yeah. I don't know that, I don't know that we talk about that enough. I don't know that we are equipped to sort of um, allow it to do its work um, yeah. enough. And I, I, I think it's interesting as you're talking about finding meaning in these other places or, 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 you know, sort of finding connection or community in these other places. And I think that's probably one of the hardest parts about leaving something yes. is that you're, you, you sort of feel like, I mean, on the outside looking in is an excruciating thing to say. Um, right. Because that you, you, you left, you had to leave the idea of safety. Like, well, God definitely didn't show up for me in this horrifying moment. Um, but at the same time, when you left, you left all those ideas of community and togetherness and yes. this place where you felt like, you know, 
you were a part of something for years and years and years. And so there's a, there's a lot of grief. So to be able to find meaning in other places again, I think is a pretty beautiful thing. Um, yeah. Just because it's so excruciating to really take to heart what you're leaving behind. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that that's such a process, right? It takes Mm -hmm. such time. I know for me, it wasn't, it wasn't just leaving a belief system behind and leaving a community behind, but it was also leaving a part of my identity. And I, I think you might be able to resonate with this as in, I was, I was a golden child growing up. Like I always did the right thing. And I was, you know, in leadership roles and uh, like all of this kind of stuff. And by walking away from that, because it no longer worked for me, and not only did it not serve me anymore, but also it was harmful to me at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also lost that piece of my identity, um, which was a good thing. It needed to burn away. But of sure. like, I'm look up to and, and I went from being like, on a pedestal to being like, in hell, right? Yeah, you know, people's perspective. Yeah. And so there's that burning away of identity that happens in that process. <laughs> it's well, it's funny, I, a few years ago, I don't get these requests anymore, but a few years ago, um, we, I, 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 there, there's this whole like movement, and I guess it still exists. I, I actually don't know. <laughs> there's this whole movement of like church planting where, yes. you know, there's like <laughs> yes. a million, and I live in the South, so like there's a new church here every week. Um, I, I can't explain why, but I'm sure there's a reason. It's true. Um, That's true. But I, a few years ago, and and I'm giving context to this. So our youngest daughter, Zuri, is she just turned five. So we we have not been a part of a of a religious faith community of any kind um, since um, Jordana, my wife, was pregnant with Zuri. So it's been mm-hmm. five and a half years at least since we, you know, darkened the door of a of a religious institution as a part of a, a spiritual community of any sort. And um, I think this was like two years ago. Um, there was a guy in town and I think he knew that I had sort of, you know, we had all sort of cut ourselves loose from that. And he was planting this church and, mm. um, and he wanted to get together with me and I, I couldn't figure out why at first. Um, but I think he kind of had this hope of like, I'm going to, I'm going to reclaim you. Like, we're going to get you back. We're going to figure out a way to kind of rope you back in. You backslider. Yeah. I I don't even, yeah. Well, and I, but the, so we met, we met this little bakery and we started having this conversation and, you know, he was asking me my views on, on, you know, lots of different things. And so I just, you know, at that point it was like, I'm, I've already crossed the bridge. So like, I have no qualms about kind of telling you where I'm at on these things. And, you know, I talked a lot about Jesus and, um, I think my views even on some of that stuff has even evolved since then, but um, I'm sure to him, he was like, holy, like you are, you are out there. And, you know, and I, I was talking about like um, um, LGBTQ and I was talking right. about, um, you know, politics and, and uh, uh, other belief systems. And, and we talked about everything and, and he looks at me finally. And he, I, I think based on what we were talking about, I think he was trying to, he was hoping that I'd be part of his leadership team to launch this, this <laughs> new thing. And he, he looks at me at one point and he goes, can't, he said, but, but if you were to be a part of this, 
it's like, couldn't it just be about Jesus? Like, do we, do we have to go through all the other things? And I looked and I was like, well, well, no, because your Jesus is different than mine. Like it, yeah. your Jesus tells certain groups of people, they can't be a part of this story. Like you, and I said, I, I, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Right. And, um, you know, so that was our one and only conversation um, about the thing, but it was just such an interesting thing of, I, I don't know how to do that. Like if we, and it really didn't have to do with like atheism or agnosticism or theism. Right. Like it wasn't even a conversation of belief. It was just a matter, a matter in that moment of perspective of like, I, our Jesuses aren't the same. They're not the same guy. And, you know, so in that, I think you, I, 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 you, I, I think I was the golden child on some level. Like I, I, yeah. but in my head, like I, I, my head was always a mess as a kid. Like as the, I, being a pre- preacher's kid, like I was a disaster internally. Yep. Um, but I, who are you going to tell? Like, you know, like who? There's who, no one. Yeah. Can. Who can you sit down and be like, I think I'm really fucked up. And they're going to be like, oh God, another one of those preacher's kids falling <laughs> off the, I was like, God, no, I just, like, I'm just really struggling. But it's that idea of, um, I, I don't know how to see it that way. I don't know how to, right. um, and it's interesting. I, I used to have this phrase that I used in, in sermons, um, that has taken on a whole new meaning for me. And I've used it over the years, multiple times. It's just, it, it, <laughs> it was like, I was awakened to what that truly meant at some point. And I right. used to talk about, you know, following Jesus isn't about having better vision. It's about having new eyes. And then, mm. and then one day I was like, oh shit, I have new eyes. Now I don't know how to see that other stuff anymore. Like, I don't know how, <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay. Like it's, and it sort of reminded me of that, of the Tom Cruise movie, Minority Report, where yes. he has to get a, like a different set of eyes in order to gain access, I think, to this yeah. place or whatever. Um, and, and it just was like, it's such, like new eyes sound so romantic. Oh my God, right. I have new eyes now. I can see, like in that movie, it's an excruciating process. Painful as fuck, yeah. Yeah, and you, like, you have to rip your eyes out and then put new eyes in like it's not yeah. it's not painless it's and and there's a good portion of that 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 journey that's very dark yes yes it is and you have to survive it. yeah yes and um you know and i i had a, a friend of mine that i grew up with a while back call me up and say hey could i could i meet you for lunch i, I have some questions and i was like yeah sure so we you know we went out for chicken wings as as one does and we're sitting there talking and he's, he, and he kind of is beating around the bush about this, everything. And, and he finally goes, I, you know, I, I, I really have some questions about church and God. And he starts asking me, and he goes, oh, I, I know you've kind of been on this, this journey for a while. And, and he's like, I just kind of want to know, you know, how, how you did it. Like yeah. wh- how you, and I looked at him and I go, <laughs> and now, now listen, let me, I need to preface this next line by saying, I, I, I don't give a fuck about QAnon, um, right. but they have really hijacked like the, the matrix, um, like the red pill, blue pill thing. And so that's yeah. really infuriating because it's one of my favorite scenes of all time. Right. Um, and QAnon has ruined it. Um, yeah. 
Anyway, but I said to him, and this was way before QAnon, I was like, have you ever seen The Matrix? And he was like, he, he goes, no, what's that? And I was like, oh, God. Oh, no. So I, had, <laughs> I was like, well, there's this guy, and he goes, this other guy, and he holds out these two pills. And, and it was like, you know, if you take this pill, you wake up in your bed tomorrow, and you don't remember a thing. Everything goes back to normal. If you take this pill, though, you kind of go into the rabbit hole, and you see how deep the rabbit hole goes. And then um, yes. he was like, oh, yeah, okay. And I was like, look, if you really – I said, I'll tell you whatever you want me to tell you. I'll share my, my – my story, my journey, the painful parts, the good, like I'll, I'll do whatever, but like you have to, you have to commit to it because yeah. you, you, you cannot predict or control what you're going to find along the way, what you're going to discover along the way. And you can't predict or control who you're going to be when you come out the other side. Yes. And, yeah. and, and I said, but that's for the best. Um, and I said, and it's really messy and it's, it's a struggle, but I, I said, I, it's been the best thing that I could have ever done. Mm, and, yeah. and I said, so before we dig into all of this, you've got to really decide, like, do you just want to? And I said, I have no judgment of what you decide. If you feel right. like you just, you're not, you can't do it, then don't do it. Because I said, yeah. but you can't half-ass it. Like, it's not, it's not something where you go halfway through the rabbit yeah. hole and go, ah, I think I'm just going to stay here. Like you don't, yeah, or turn back. Right. Yeah. It ain't happening. Neither one of those things work for you, especially if you're claustrophobic. And, yeah. and so he decided he, he wasn't, he couldn't do it. He just wanted to kind of stay. And, yeah. and again, that's fine. I don't, that's why going back to what I said at the beginning, I, I have no anger or bitterness or hatred about where I came from because I still know and love so many people who are still there. And, and yeah. inside, there. and I have so many friends who have other belief systems where they are there and they're, they are devout and they're committed and, and, and some things we deeply connect on other things. We, we have a, a, a chasmic disconnect on, um, you know, and so that doesn't have anything to do with my love or my care or my commitment to them as humans and people, right. um, you know, and, and, and I, I think that happens to a lot of us, but you just have to commit to it. And, yeah. and, and, and it, I, I genuinely don't recognize um, who I am now versus who I was then. Like I look back then and I, it's, and, and I don't, I don't say this because there was so much trauma that I've blocked out a lot of memories. I genuinely just look back and go, man, who was I? Like how, yeah. how did I, who, how did I do that? I don't know, you know, and, and so it's been such a strange journey um, yes. the whole time. And, and I, you know, I think that's why though, I think that's why storytelling and, and sort of uncovering these little uh, nuggets of, of truth or beauty or discovery or pain or grief, like along the way, um, are something that I'm so um, gravitate, I gravitate toward so passionately um, yeah. just because I, I think that it, it kind of harkens back to that idea from, you know, uh, St. Paul in the Bible of feeling our way in the dark. And, you know, if, the, if there are ways where I can shed even a little bit of light for myself or others, or, um, you know, and that, I mean, <laughs> there's so many other layers to it. Like, how do you talk to your kids about it? And how do you, yeah. you know, cause my wife and I were married, you know, in our early twenties as really, really good Christians. Um, 
you know, like, like we had, there was so much symbolism in our wedding and, and, it, and it was all based on this thing. And so we're different people now. And so even yeah. as you become different people, like you, you have to learn, like, how do we do this together? Yeah. Uh, like we have to relearn each other. We have to relearn love or marriage or romance or, or in a totally different context. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, yeah, of course. You know, but I mean, that sounds pretty human to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you were talking about stories shining the light and, and the, this journey yeah. that you've been on. And I just keep thinking, um, you know, uh, let the fires I set, like light the way, not just for me, but for those who would commit to that journey and come behind me and mm-hmm. happen across my path. Yeah. Um, because you're so right. Like you have to commit to it. And when you go down the rabbit hole, the only, the only way to, to get out is to go deeper. Yeah. And uh, for me too, I've experienced that as like, okay, uh, I'm going to have to survive this. Like, I'm mm-hmm. just going to have to get to the other side. And I think even after you survive it, there is, um, there's this uh, continual sense of like pulling you into more and more and yeah. you have to, you're, you're still losing those layers. And I think that's probably a process for our whole life. Well, and it, it, I almost feel like the <clears throat> committing to go to the rabbit hole or go through the rabbit hole or whatever, whatever metaphor somebody wants to use for that. Like you initially enter that space to deal with, uh, you know, a, a past that you're trying to um, come to grips with or heal right. from or make sense of, like whatever it is. But as you go through that journey and even maybe you come out the other side, like you're, you're, it, it's continual because mm-hmm. you also have to deal with what you encountered along the way. Yes. It, it's not like you stop experience things experiencing things while you're on the journey to deal with the thing in your past or the or the group of things in your past like you still have to like continually do this and and i mean there have been there have been parts of even this year it's like i'm just tired like i don't yeah i don't feel like doing it right now and 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 that's okay i don't think you i think anybody who sort of paints the picture of you know it's always about self-care or you always have to go through this process of of healing and beauty and whatever bullshit like that's not that it's impossible it is impossible because just like you know at the end of the night like literally and also this this is so silly but this is what we did yesterday so we we have seven kids which you know and so like yes. we we have been trying to make a million decisions about school and how do we do this and you know we want to protect our kids and you know, um, certain kids are already doing it virtually and other, what do we do with these other kids? And we're going to keep Jude home and how do we make these decisions? And so we cannot find, everybody's in the house. Like we cannot find 10 minutes to even have a, um, a sober conversation um, before the kids go to bed at like whatever time they go to bed. And by the time they go to bed, our brains are like, yeah, we're done. Like we're out. Like we, <laughs> so so we at night have been watching The OC. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah. No, but Stupid. my brother's obsessed. Oh my gosh! So we're watching The OC again. We watched it like back in early early marriage, but I, it's it's ridiculous. Um, but we because that's all our brains can handle. Like we'll yeah. just sit there and we'll have stupid conversations 
while we're watching these old episodes of this TV show. And so yesterday I was like, okay, let me finish this group of things. And then we'll put the kids all in the van and we're gonna give them devices in the back of the car. And we're gonna drive around town and just talk. Like that's how we're gonna do it. So yeah, it didn't really work like, as prettily as we hoped, but we got some, <laughs> we, we figured some things out. But it's like, just like your brain at the end of the day, your brain and your body are just tired. Like you're ready to go to bed. Yeah. Like so is your spirit when you're yes. sort of journeying through these things. And, mm-hmm. and that's okay. You don't always yeah. have to be on the journey of healing. Sometimes the best way to heal is just to, you know, take a, a spiritual nap for a minute and just kind of think yes. about something else. I, I, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny. I had this moment um, back in September and I was, um, I had just gotten back to the States. I've been traveling internationally and I w- had this kind of like meltdown, right? Like, I, yeah. And I go back into very intensive therapy because I was processing some things I'd never processed. Right. And so every moment of every day, I'm just like on, I'm like trying to heal. I'm like trying to get through all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And one, my girlfriend, one of my best uh, friends, she comes over one night and she walks in and she has this brown paper paper bag with her. She slams it down on the table and pulls out um, like a 12 pack of uh, white cloth. Yeah, she, said, she did. Sister, we are going to numb. She said, and she said, <laughs> and she's a therapist too. So that's like not something she advocates for very often. But she said, <laughs> your body can't handle processing all of this and constantly be doing the work of healing all the time. Yeah. And so we sat there and we just watched like a really stupid movie and drank um white cloth like, all night long yeah and it was what i needed my body needed to my brain and my body and my spirit like you said needed to just shut down and reset a little bit what is and it, how how dare we put that kind of pressure on our own spirits yes. it's like you can't it's i have multiple friends going through chemo right now you cannot constantly go through the same level of chemo without a break you can't, yeah. you can't do it. It does, and it doesn't mean the cancer's gone. The cancer's still there. You're still fighting the cancer. But sometimes the best way to fight the cancer is to take a break for a minute so that your body has time to catch up. And yes. other, otherwise you're you're fighting yourself. And yeah. you know, so I I yeah, I mean that's that's probably the hardest because there's also no manual. Like anybody who right. listens to this, like my experience is not your experience and vice versa. Like the place at which we have to take breaks or, you know, go watch a, uh, you know, a stupid TV show or, you know, whatever it is, like are, are not yeah. the same place. We couldn't calendar it out. Um, yep. Like you just, you just have to kind of hit a place and go, ah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stop for a second. And, yeah. and, and it's okay. And then, and you, cause, you, cause you'll come back. Like you may come back five years later. Like it, it, who, I mean, it, you may not, you may not really come back around to that for a while, or it could be a day or a week. Like it doesn't matter. Everybody's different, and everybody processes the journey differently. And and Absolutely. that's that's how the story goes. That's how the story goes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, 
you know what's funny is that we didn't even get to talk about what I had planned on talking to you about. So maybe at some point <laughs> we'll do that. No, it was perfect. I mean, storytelling and just this whole conversation about our journey. Wow, so beautiful. And I think it definitely will resonate with people. Um, but before we go, I just, is there anything that we've talked about or haven't talked about that you would want to share with someone who's been listening and on this journey with us? Oh, man. Um you know, I, I want to, I guess, maybe I'm just overly sensitive to this idea, but I, I just want to say to, to, cause I think, I think sometimes people hear podcasts like this. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is a, this happens in a, a, a spiritual setting and outside of a spiritual setting. Um, but I think, I think we, cause it's a human thing. I think we sometimes listen to people's journeys, um, and go, I, I guess I got to go do that thing. Yeah. And, and that one day I'm going to have a story that sounds like theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just want to say that that it, that's, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that all of us have very, very different journeys and there are parts of my journey and my family's mm-hmm. journey that are, are okay right now. There are other parts that are super messy and not okay. And mm-hmm. um. You know, and I, I, it's not, not everybody needs to hear all the parts of the journey all the time. Yep. And, yep. and, and not everybody's journeys are ever going to look the same. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you are listening and you're still very much a part of a faith community that still very much resonates with you and, right. and you feel healthy and alive and flourishing in that place. Okay, great. Like I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to advocate for anybody to just go and kill a part of their story just yeah. for the sake of killing a part of their story. Agreed. Um, Agreed. You know, and I think for people like you and me, we had very catalytic events happen yes. that, that asked of us to, to begin a journey that we ultimately said, okay, I'm in, I'm going to go. Right. And, you know, so, so I just would say that is that I don't, I don't think that, there's any pressure on anybody or there, I, I hope there isn't to go, okay, I guess I got to go down a rabbit hole and then go find right. a rabbit, uh, go find a rabbit hole. Like don't seek it out. Um, no, don't seek it out. No, God. That's a, probably a whole nother podcast. Um, it is. And, and, yeah. So that's what I would say is like, if not everybody's story is going to look the same. And, and so even at the end of someone else's journey, it's not going to look like mine and mine's not going to look like theirs right. and it's okay if you're not ready to, to dive deep yet um, in a different place. And it's okay yeah. if you, if you never have to, cause that happens yep. too. Um, yeah. So, you know, don't, gratitude for that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. So don't feel pressure, you know, to have to go like rearrange your life. If, if there, if a rearrangement isn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, um, I used to have, I had this professor when I was in college and he would say um, about texts that we were reading, he would say, um, and by text for all of you youngins who are listening, I mean <laughs> books, um, <laughs> he would say, uh, eat the chicken, spit out the bones. And I think with everything that I present to the world, that I offer to the world, that's, that's what I want to say. Take what resonates with you and leave what mm-hmm. doesn't. Yeah. You can find beauty there. And also, you don't have to embrace every part of it because every part of it isn't for you. And that's okay. Sure. 
And, yeah. and, and, and honestly, I, the last thing I would say is just, so it takes a long time to kind of even wrestle with the idea of what, what is for you and what isn't like that doesn't automatically yes. happen. And, yeah. um, you know, and I, I'm really terrible at like, <laughs> like um, self-help stuff. Like I'm really, really yeah. bad at that. And I, like, I can't listen to it. I can't read it. Um, but other people, it resonates deeply and it speaks to right. a place in them that I don't know. I don't have. Um, right. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's different for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. And we thank will you. do this again one day. I have no doubts. So. Sounds good. I'm game. Just All let right. me know when. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, man. Thanks, Melissa. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you found something in this episode that you can carry with you through your day. Matt can be followed at Stories and Craft on Instagram. And if you'd like to support the show, you can Venmo me at Melissa B. Hawks. Thanks so much. Love ya. Mean it.